Well, hello, and welcome to the RBC Podcast. My name is Jeremy Miller, and I have Esther Martin here with us as well. Uh, she uh, serves. Esther, you're brand new to yes, your I role. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to say what you do? Yes, I am going to be working in the admissions office. Today is my first day, and I'm really excited about it. So I'll just be working in there with enrollment services. Well, it's great to have you on board. And we're really excited to have Nate and Denise Olmsted with us today. Nate has been here for our missions week at RBC, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation here this morning. But Nate, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who? Well, you and Denise, who you who you are, where you come from, and and what God's been doing. Sure. Yeah. So uh, so originally, um, 2000, Denise and I met actually here at Rosedale. We're really good friends, and uh, uh, God took us both different directions for a period of time in our lives, and uh, obviously came back together and got married. But um, part of that history is that God had called me through Missions Week here at Rosedale, mm. uh, in particular through Richard Showalter, to live a missional life. And that was one of the ways that, um, that God had kind of... Um, uh, moved us differently in different directions for a period of time where I ended up in the country of Ecuador as a church planting missionary, and Denise went back to Pennsylvania. Tell us a little bit about your family. Sure. So uh, Denise and I have had seven children. Uh, one of those um, daughters that we had had passed away of cancer a couple of years back after a three-year battle with uh, brain tumors. And so obviously that has uh, forever changed who we are and thinking about the fragility of life. Uh, but God has also blessed us with six more children um, from uh, 17 down to six, four boys, two girls. So one of the things you just said uh, triggered a memory for me because I happened to be at Rosedale with you both. Yes. And I remember those missions meetings. And I remember a specific night where Richard asked is God calling you mm -hmm. to mission? Right. Did you respond that night? I, I did. That was the first time I had overtly, openly responded to a missional calling. I, I had had a stirring in my my individual life for a long time around just being intrigued with cultures and ethnicities and food and dress and languages, uh, but never had fleshed that out. And when Richard actually posed that jarring question. Uh, is when I responded for the first time openly that, yes, God, you are definitely calling me to mission and I'm surrendered and want to do what you want me to do. Can I, 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 can I tell you a short story about that? Sure. So I remember that night and I remember feeling this same like desire to respond, like, God, you are calling me, only I did not feel like he was calling me to sort of cross-cultural missions. Mm. And I'd, I felt this tension, and I didn't know what to do with it because Richard was talking about these you know, people that felt called by God to move and go to another place. Mm. And I thought, Lord, what is going on in me? I just feel this intense desire to respond, mm. and I don't know how because I don't think that's what you're calling me to. Wow. Yep. And, and then... Richard said, but I also know that God's calling some of you to prepare and equip and stay here. That's right. And like immediately, I felt mm -hmm. this enormous release. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. I could not respond fast. Yep. And I was like, that's yeah. me. 
yeah. Anyway, yeah. That, I remember that evening. Yeah, crystal clear. Yeah, yeah. It was a phenomenal evening. Yeah. Denise, you were there too, right? Yeah, I was there. Um, yeah, I had actually just returned from a short-term trip. Yeah. Um, overseas in Europe, and so yeah, I mean, missions was still on my mind. That specific night wasn't like a oh, I have to go now. Kind okay. Of thing. But, yeah. So that wasn't like as ingrained in your psyche as maybe for Nate and I. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the night. I remember very clearly, you know, and it, it being very impactful. But, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So you all are in Utica, New York right now. Correct. How long have you that's been correct. there? So we've been there uh, about five years, going on five years. And okay. um, and part of that story, if it's okay to share that, sure. is, yeah. is really what God used in the background to bring us to Utica. Um, we when, when I came back from Ecuador, Denise and I got married and settled into a role of youth pastor at uh, Nomberg Mennonite Church in upstate New York. But towards the end of that, we're feeling very uh, unsettled about, about continuing that role. <clears throat> and we're thinking more definitely that God was calling us back to international cross-cultural missions. And um, in a season of just trying to weigh that and understand that, uh, it seemed like that with every door that would open or possibility, um, it, it was closing as quickly as, as it was opening. But simultaneously, we had gained some acquaintances with a few uh, uh, Guatemalans living in our region, uh, migrant laborers. And as quickly as doors were closing, this door was opening. And so it really felt like God was saying green light all the way. And mm. the other part of that was with some very simple investigation, I realized that there was no spiritual work being done among that population, which was a growing population in our agriculture marketplace. Mm. And so started to work in that arena and which, which kind of leads to a little bit of what we did as a family, because we were all involved in that ministry mm -hmm. of reaching into that migrant population. Um, but, you know, fast forward, uh, we were sensing at a certain point in doing that. And then with a more of a clarity of understanding of what was in Utica, that God was definitely calling us to Utica uh, later on, six, seven or eight years later. So I, I'm looking forward to talking with you in a minute about your family, how your family functions in an environment like Utica, coming from upstate New York, rural, and you move to the city. Anyway, before we get there, could you give us just like a snapshot of the, the uh, um, demographics that are like, who are, the, what, who are the people that you're working with and living yeah. among? A uh, really, really good question. What, you know, the original population of people that intrigued us uh, to make a move to Utica was the Bosnian population. Mm. Uh, the, the, the breakup of Yugoslavia uh, was really what moved a lot of Bosnians and Serbs all over the world as refugees. And so many of them ended up in Utica. I think Utica is this, if I've not got this mistaken, is the second largest population of Bosnians in the U.S. St. Louis oh, wow. is the largest population, and then they're all over the place beyond that. But that demographic of people was originally what what drew us to Utica. But after that drawing, or at least understanding that there were thousands of Bosnians in Utica, that again no work was being done among them, um, we our eyes were opened to all of the other ethnicities that were in Utica. Uh, large Asian populations, uh, Afghanis, uh, Iraq, Iraqis, Iranians, uh, 
Somalis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. Hmm. There's 42 languages spoken in the city of Utica, a very small city, not a large wow. city, high uh, refugee population demographics in the city of Utica. So our, our, our target, if you will, are really, we're, we're not bypassing people to get to people with the gospel. Yeah. Um, I want to make that clear. Um, so whoever the Lord puts there is who we're working with. Um, but as a prayer target, we are, are specifically wanting to see the church raised up among the, the Muslim populations, the Buddhist populations, where there is no church representation in the city. And there's many of those. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, you you come from a, I mean, you were both sort of raised in rural yeah. uh, areas, probably deep knit communities with long roots down into the soil yep. of these communities. And there's something I think really beautiful about that that fosters uh, a lot of organic discipleship and strong community. Uh, but there is the call of God for us to help build new communities of faith. And you're taking that very seriously, that call. But uh, I would be curious to spend a little time talking about like what family life looks like for a couple who, who grew up in a, a deep-rooted community, a rural community, moves to a city <laughs> and doesn't have the sort of support systems and connections. And how do you, I, I'd like to talk about at some point in this conversation, how, like the things that, the ways in which you've involved your children in this whole piece and how you think about parenting in the middle of all that. And, and then just like real practically, like what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. with your family? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was wondering like, what do you guys do for school? Do you homeschool oh. or is it like important that they're like in the schools? I don't know. That, that was a question I had when you were speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I would just like to, so, um, maybe before we even get to the city, like part of the journey for me of even moving to the city was I'm bringing, at, when we moved, we had seven children and one was a six month old. And so I was thinking, I'm moving to this city. I know absolutely no one. Like, what if, like, I have an emergency? Right. You know, we have the six-month-old <laughs> plus the cancer patient. And, and, and I, like, I have no idea. I don't know anyone. I don't know who I, who would you call. Like, the oldest is 12. So, like, that was like a, um, it, it just was a, a time where I was like, okay, I'm really, really scared about this. But I remember clearly thinking, like, I'm just, we're just going to do this. We're going to do this. If an emergency mm. happens, I, so God will work it out and mm. it will be fine. We never did have an emergency. And then, you know, like, you know, shortly, you know, some neighbors and um, yeah, anyway, but I, I remember that being a distinct thing. Okay. I'm, I'm taking my family. I'm going to be there alone in the house with the kids and no, absolutely no one within, you know, whatever, an hour's drive or whatever. So, um, so we did that. We moved there. Um, and yeah, I think, um, yeah, a couple things I think about, I don't know if I'm specifically answering a question. Um, 
Denise, can I pop in just a second? Yeah. Did your daughter have cancer when you moved? Yes. Yes. So she wow. was, yeah. That's well, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, uh, maybe like two years in, if I remember. And, you know, like we were processing this move for months, even years. And when we finally felt like the call, like, okay, now is the time, like she was fairly stable. Like okay. we had, you know, we had gotten good reports and, you know, the cancer was gone. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we weren't actively treating at that time. It was just a few months later that we did need to start treating again um, in a different, mm -hmm. yeah, a different way. So I think that was a little bit of yeah. graciousness there with God. Like we were like, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a huge leap of faith. <laughs> yeah. If if it would not have been, um, you know, it's interesting that our exploratory type looks at Utica previous to that um, had given us time to try to, well, a couple, a couple of things happened. And, and actually to answer your question mm -hmm. as well, yes, we homeschool mm -hmm. um, okay. as part of that. And we can talk about that. But as as uh, as part of that move to Utica, I can distinctly remember having some very good conversations, sitting around in a circle as a family, saying, "Hey, mealtime discussions uh, in the evening or whatever," saying like this this is a direction that we feel like God is starting to move us. And how do you feel about that, right? How, child A, B, C, right? How how do you feel about that? And and even though that didn't answer all the questions, those conversations ending in prayer, I think helped soften the overall, I'll call it a blow of making that uprooting type move that moved us on from Krogan, the secluded rural community, quaint little community to busy, uh, very dark and oppressed Utica. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very thankful that we had the time to actually have those conversations. Mm -hmm. and, and I would even add to that, that, we moved, certainly not all being in 100% agreement that this was the best thing. Um, there were certainly some of our, of our children. Older or younger? Um, I would say that some of the youngers more than the olders. But there was a broad, there was a mix between mm -hmm. the six of them of who was saying like, yes, let's go get this. And mm -hmm. our daughter sitting off to the side here in the podcast room. And she <laughs> was, she was one of the first to say she has more of my personality. Let's go get it. Let's go, let's go move to the city and yeah. let's see what life brings. And she has more of my temperament. But there were some that were saying, but what about my cousins? Uh -huh. What about grandpa and grandma? What about being close to the people that we know and have? known and what's going to change about all that so those are even though we couldn't answer all of those questions at least the conversations could happen that mm -hmm. propelled it a little bit every day closer towards the actual move i think yeah. that was supremely important yeah so uh what esther started to bring up could you guys talk a little bit about like what your family routines look like or what are the things that you do in utica that help bring your children along? Or... Mm -hmm. Well, I think, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, some of the things like we try to involve them, you know, in anything that we're doing, of course, like just having the kids around and playing outside with kids drums up, um, you know, like we've heard several different people say, oh yeah, we know who you are. You're the one with the kids that in that yard <laughs> on that street, you know, cause they just, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. you know, we, um, we're just visible. Um, 
And so we try to just put that out there that um, with the kids that this is who we are. You know, we're we're living here in the city to be visible and available to people. Um, I would I would add one element of that, and, and it, <clears throat> I mentioned it this morning in the speak the, the the talk at the college. But God graciously allowed us a a, a house, a sizable house for our family, mm-hmm. but also road frontage yard space that instantly gave us the availability of being able to do stuff outside. We uh-huh. were able to continue to function in what the kids are interested in, in particular the boys around baseballs and footballs and soccer balls and frisbees and we did that that's what we did we spent a lot of time after getting moved in um, just being available and outside doing the things that we would have likely done uh, back in Krogan but now in a different spot where we had talked about being visible in the community and so I think that brought them on board to at least a limited understanding of their role like Mm -hmm. we can just be normal kids Mm -hmm. and that's a good role to have that's good there's nothing wrong with that and so and so that, like Denise said, that that gained us some traction in the community because it was an oddity. And we're, we're still oddballs in our community. We're, the, we're that large, white-skinned North American family in a community where there is no large, white-skinned, normal North American family that functions together. And so we're, we're okay being a little bit odd. Yeah. And, and of course, we have to be because we're the only ones. And... Uh, that has gained us some traction or at least onlookers uh, to say like, what's, what's happening over there? And this this is different. It's different, right? Because we're outside doing stuff together. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say also, um, and so being there, like you're we talking like without like the, the um, close-knit community or yeah. like the church, you know, the ch- other church people really around us, like, I feel like I've tried to be so much more intentional with the kids in at home um, just because we don't, they don't have a lot of other solid um, friendships. So that's totally a work in progress. Yeah. But um, I do feel like, yeah, my kids at home are, are that is so much my number one yeah. mission field. Um, when you say intentional, like, what mm-hmm. do you mean by that? Um, um, intentional Bible reading, like, um, intentional, you know, like, and I, I, this should be done anyway, probably, but like, I, you know, recognize more and more, like the kids aren't like in a Sunday school class, um, where they're getting like any, you know, regular stuff. Like, Mm. so I just want to make sure like we're getting, I, yeah, I just want to be able to feed into them uh-huh. daily. So, so even um, just the spiritual growth of your children, mm-hmm. um, like in when you say Bible reading, mm-hmm. like that's something that you do as a family or they do individually or mm-hmm. how does that work? Right. So right at the moment, um, the elementary kids and I are reading through Genesis, which okay. started right in the beginning, um, and just discussing that as questions yeah. come up. Um loosely following um a format um yeah the older kids are they have their own bible reading plan um we try to check in with them sure as we can yeah um yeah so yeah i was gonna say that for denise has done a great job of intentionally building almost into every conversation ways of thinking spiritually and allowing for those conversations to happen with the curriculum or outside of the curriculum. Uh, It's both and. 
And um, because a lot of what our kids have actually seen growing up, we, we, we did have one benefit looking back. And that was that from pretty much from day one, our children were part of an active missional ministry from within the Spanish context. So they already kind of had that as a background. That mm-hmm. was their church. Those uh-huh. were their people, the Spanish mm-hmm. population. Yeah. They were the people that week to week in multiple times a week that they would relate to. And so so I think that buffered a little bit of the move to Utica. They understood why we were already doing yeah. what we were doing with the yeah. Spanish-speaking population. Now, this is obviously another shift in that, right. a major shift. But Denise buffered that very well mm-hmm. because a lot of what the kids have heard is more adult-like teaching and more adult-like mm-hmm. evangelistical approaches. And mm-hmm. so it's she's been able to flesh that out on a on a uh, younger level, especially for the younger kids, uh, and have good conversations around that. Yeah. So they've, I mean, this has just been part of their life, really. I would like to say, Jeremy, that this is difficult or not. Yeah. This is an this is DNA. Yeah. And it's they've now experienced whether it was difficult or not. We can talk about that sure. all day long, right? Sure. But it's part of the DNA of now what they have in their background. Mm-hmm. They grew up in a missional home where outreach was kind of the norm. Yeah. They were always around that outreach, whether they understood how to give into that and how well we did in their giving into that and receiving is debatable. Mm-hmm. We could we could talk about that part of it, but but they grew up in the environment where we were thinking outside the box a little bit around how do we connect with people, whether it's in Spanish or now actually uprooting as part of their DNA and making that shift and move to a city like Utica and trying to build new roots and reestablish in a community. That's part of their DNA that they're going to take with them wherever they go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, And I assume that, well, I think you hinted at this earlier, the different temperaments and personalities of your children probably play into how how that's all fleshed out with them yep for yeah. sure for sure yeah yep do you um h- how do you guys engage the do you have other children on your street or in your community and what do those relationships look like we we do we do would you like to yeah. there's yeah there's been um there's just been other kids in and out of our lives kind of um you know they they just move around or to whichever parent they're living with at the moment. Um, so yeah, we have some, you know, rough football games where, you know, game's over, you know, everybody go home kind of thing, or like we (laughs) just have to settle down or, you know, like, you know, we're not going to do this kind of thing here on our property, different things like that. Um, yeah, that the kids and I have had to work through and Nate has, Thankfully, yeah, I've been around for some of that rough stuff. But of course, you know, some of those interactions, especially when we first moved there, um, yeah, interactions with some kids down the street brought like, um, yeah, contact with the older brother who, yeah, has has given his life to Jesus and has just completely turned around. So, um, yeah, and yeah, we still interact with some of the younger kids occasionally. I would add to that too, because some of the tensions around the populations of people that we live around, uh, tending to be a little bit more out of control and, and, and of another culture, quite Mm -hmm. frankly, and, and that's what they know. So that's who they're going to be. And wrestling with that as a family, how do, how do we, how do we put up, you know, safety parameters or perimeters around what we think and what we do and what we say, Mm -hmm. how do we interact with it? 
Yeah. Uh, not grab too much of it yeah. and understand mm-hmm. how to hopefully make something positive come of that relationship because yeah. those, those kids are going to be adults someday mm-hmm. and what we're instilling of value into those people <laughs> may turn into something phenomenal. And like Denise shared one story is that um, very large Somali family that lived down the road from us that was upon moving to Utica was our number one uh, contact really. Uh-huh. I mean, they were, they were in our windows. They were at our doors. They were forever asking to play. They wanted to come in. They wanted to investigate our lives. And dawn to dusk. Dawn to dusk. That we, we, we wrestled with how, how, what do we do? How do, how do we, how do we build structure? How do you, how do you build structure when they're forever peering in the windows and, and at the door and always asking for this or that? It was it was an interesting time yeah. of trying to figure out how do we function, maintain life as a family, but also minister to people who, frankly, need to know about Jesus by the time this is all said and done. And so, yeah, we never could have looked ahead at that point and understood or realized what God was up to and how a connection was going to be made to the oldest sibling in that family through all those interactions that would lead to him coming to faith in Jesus. Mm. You never know the outcome of Mm -hmm. what you're running into and wrestling with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nate and Denise, I know that one of the obstacles for many families who come from deeply rooted communities to engage in a new area and a new mission is that fear of, how do we function without all of the structure that we're used to, the relational structure that yeah. we're used to? And I'm, I'm, I guess I'd love to have maybe end this conversation with you guys saying a word to families who, who might be wrestling with the call of God in a situation mm-hmm. like that. It's like, Lord, how do we think through what's really good for the long-term health of our children mm-hmm. and and these relationships that you gave us to help foster. Right. Uh, right. How do you, what might you say to families in that situation? My initial, res- <clears throat> my initial response to that um, would be that it's still to be determined. We, we feel like we're still in the process of trying to understand how to function with our children in the mix of ministry, but still mm-hmm. uh, allow them to be normal children and not be close enough to have connections to grandparents and or cousins or friends like they had before. But one thing that we, because we only live an hour and a half from my family, and it's about four and a half hours to where Denise's family lives, her parents and some of her siblings, we have been able to intentionally build overlap with that. And we've, Denise does a great job with maintaining connectedness between the kids and herself and her family and mm-hmm. my family and vice versa. So that's something we intentionally try to create. We also know that that's limited, mm-hmm. right? There's some things we can't make happen that are just impossible to make happen because we're called to something that looks and feels a little bit differently. And so I think part of that is that it, that conversation, those conversations that we can look back on that we had up to leaving Krogan and moving to Uticus now seem so valuable uh-huh. because one of the things that we talked about was the cost, mm-hmm. the cost. There's going to be a cost to obedience to Jesus, regardless of where that takes us. There will always be a human, physical, emotional mm-hmm. cost. That's just simply going to be there. And so one of the costs is that it's going to change 
it's going to change relationship, but there's also going to be benefits on the other side that far outweigh the cost if we can think longer term into where God might move that. And so I think keeping that vision out in front of, of the children, especially in relationship with them. And again, not that we've done superbly at this is the wording I would put to it. We're, we're still trying to figure this out, but trying to keep open communication to, to recognize the personality differences uh, the communication that says it's it's okay to struggle, it's okay to cry, it's okay to miss somebody and to not have that relationship be like it was before is good for them to hear. It's okay to have that tension. There's no problem with that. And let's let's talk about it. And then to think about the cost of obedience mm-hmm. and really what Jesus did for us, right? Because it leads to that and it leads to propelling us then into, into continuing on and being able to continue on faithfully uh, obedient to Jesus and what he asks. Mm-hmm. And Denise, uh, God has provided for you as a, a mom who's homeschooling mm-hmm. her now six children mm-hmm. in a new city. and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You felt that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's so many things that you can, you know, think about that could go wrong and so many losses that, you know, you can stack up, you know, on the con side or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, and there's still going to be losses. There's still going to be cons, but that doesn't necessarily outweigh any of the pros. And so, um, yeah, for us, I mean, we didn't have any, you know, yeah, I didn't have any major problems when, you know, I felt very vulnerable as, as, you know, mom with young kids, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that that's, you know, I'm not saying that somebody wouldn't have something that um, could go go badly, but um, I think it just, it is what it is. I, I hate to, I don't want to say this too lightly, but no pain, no gain kind of thing, you know, like yeah. it's like, like Nate said, like it's okay that it's not going to, you know, it's okay to have the tension. It's okay to, um, for it to not be, you know, an ideal life that you, you know, would dream of. Um, and there's a lot of other pros. Well, I appreciate so much your candor on that and sort of your clear, clear eyed Mm -hmm. response that, and I think it's actually true for all of us that Mm -hmm. if we decide it's, it's better for us to play it safe, Mm -hmm. there's a cost to that actually Mm -hmm. too. And so, um, Wherever we head in life, under God's direction, there is cost involved, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we do give up things. Right. The question is what it, what it is we're giving right. up. So, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Right. Well, true. thank you so much for being mm-hmm. here with us on campus, and mm-hmm. then visiting with us here for people who listen to the podcast to catch a glimpse on mm-hmm. your life. Thank Just you. one more thing. When you guys were like talking about that, this, my friend gave me a sticker in high school so long ago, and it says, Jesus is worth everything that you're afraid of losing. And just through listening to you, Nate, um, the past few sessions, I just feel like you guys really lived that out. And it has been a blessing to be around you guys and just hear how you really do look at Jesus and he is worth it to you guys. And that is, yeah, that just means a lot to have you guys here sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be back with another podcast in the near future.